Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. Our series, The Stories of Life. This is going to come as a shock to some of you, but I am not much of a sentimental. No, no, I do not express emotion very frequently. Somewhat stoic, some would say. I don't naturally attach a lot of emotion or feelings to events or things. And I can't really tell you why that is. I can't explain it to you. You know, I could blame nature or nurture, or I could use that cop-out. You've probably heard it. God made me this way. I see it as a character flaw. That I don't feel things often the way that others do. Now, you can argue with me all day long. I've had the argument lots of times. People have come to me, oh, Ross or Rick, leave me alone. God's dealing with me. I feel things. I just don't emote them. It's just not, just not right now. It's just not the way that God's made. As a matter of fact, it's so bad that my mom has asked me on more than one occasion, will you cry at my funeral? And she's serious. Huh, mom? Say hi. Say hi to mom. I would like to stand here and say yes. I don't know. Yeah, bring some. Yeah, God's doing a work in me. I am. I am. Kelly will tell you, I am not nearly the hard-hearted, unfeeling guy that I used to be. And some of you have known me well enough to know that. Yeah, I'm not. I am not totally like that anymore. I still don't feel. I don't. I don't emote very often. If you say something to me, matter of fact, if you if you turn on one of those silly, you know, make you want to cry movies, I just roll my eyes and leave can't stand them. They just make me, I'd rather have a root canal, personally. I'm messed up. I know I am. But God's doing a work in me. And if you want, if you want to pray for something for me, that's one of the things. I'm a pastor. You know, I ought to feel things more than I do. You know why? Because I know how it's affecting me. I know, I, and, and some of you have been on the other side of this where I should respond to certain things a certain way, and I don't. And it bothers me that I don't respond the way that, you know, that often people would say, well, that's how a pastor responds to those things. I want to. You know, these, these things that, that ought to touch me in such a way to get me to respond in a, a way that often ministers to people the way that it should. That, that's my desire, that God would do that. So if you want to pray for me for something, that's one of them. Pray for a greater expression of compassion in me and through me. That night, and the second one would be that I eventually get a yellow Corvette. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I want to be, I want to, I want to feel these things, uh, the way that Jesus feels them. And I don't know that I do yet. And I, I, again, I can't tell you why all that is. I know that God needs to do work. He's doing a work in me. But I, I, need, I know he needs to do more. 
today we're going to look at a story, a touching story, with great emotion that's wrapped up in it. Great, deep emotion. We're going to look at a story of a desperate, hopelessly lonely man that comes to Jesus and his response to him, which absolutely is remarkable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, as I look around this room, I see one touching story after another. I see desperate people. I see lonely people. I see hurting people. I see people that are bound up in sin. I see people that are lost and wandering in life. I see people in relationships that are, that are adrift. I see people that have a great and desperate need for you to touch them in a way that will change their lives. And Lord, I stand here as a man desperate that you would change things in me as well. So Lord, as we get into this text, Lord, we come to you with all of our stuff. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through this text, that we'll see how this man approached you and that we would learn how to approach you ourselves in a way to see a response like the response that he saw and the result that he saw, that we might have the fruit that he bore. We thank you, Lord, for this day, and we lift up your word to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's message is A Touching Story. According to Matthew's gospel, this event, this, this, actually this miracle and the one that's going to follow next week, took place right after the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus on the Mount, and he's, and he's teaching the multitude, you know, blessed are, you know, the Beatitudes, all that, all that happened. And then after all that was done, then they start making their way down the Mount, probably back into Capernaum or a city around that. And so they go, they're going downhill, and, and, and the multitudes just were hanging out with Jesus. The multitudes, when you hear that word multitudes, we're talking thousands of people are gathered around, are hanging out around Jesus because amazing things are happening, right? You know, he's teaching these, you know, these, these sermons that there is nothing like it. The power of God, the authority of God is speaking forth with such authority. And oh, by the way, he's working miracles like crazy. People, people want to be around him. They want to see it. They want to hear it. They want to be connected to him. As they're down there, all of a sudden, as a thousand, imagine thousands of people gathered around, the noise of that, all of a sudden, cutting through that noise is a voice crying out, unclean, unclean. And as that man crying out over and over again, the people parting, like, like the Red Sea before Moses, getting as, way of, as far from that man as they possibly can. And he comes and presents himself to Jesus. 
verse 12 of Luke 5. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy, or what we know it today more commonly as Hansen, commonly, Hansen's disease. Most of us didn't know that. I, had, I didn't know it until I looked it up. It was a terrible, terrible thing in the ancient world. Terrible. It was, it was incurable. If you got leprosy, it was, a, it was a terminal disease. Unfortunately, it took a really long time to die with leprosy. Usually disfiguring was referred to, has been referred to as a painless hell because what happens with it, it, a skin disease that there, there is an absence of pain. No sensations of pain. You don't feel pain. You know, pain is the body's warning system, right? It warns you there's a problem. When you feel pain, it, it always means there's a problem, right? Well, with leprosy, you don't feel pain. And so you, you literally can burn yourself and not feel it. You can cut yourself and not know it. You can get an infection and not realize it. So all the, all, and if you've ever seen an image of it, I, I, I was tempted for about a half of a second to put an image up here of someone with leprosy. You won't forget it. If you've ever seen it in person, Randy has seen it in person, Debbie has seen it in person, you'll never forget it. The image is absolutely grotesque, what it does to you. Turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 13. Leviticus 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. In case you're wondering. Many forms of the disease were contagious, are contagious. They still exist today. There are still places in the world where there are lepers. People still get leprosy. Remember that Luke is a doctor. And he, as he refers to this man, he says he is full of leprosy. What he's saying, it is, it is an advanced case. That this man, it is, it is covering him. It is, it, is, it is being expressed in all the ways that it can. And it, it is a foul, nasty, disgusting thing when it manifests. It's nasty. Probably really hard to look at. God, you know, it goes all the way back, the first, first descriptions of it all the way back in Leviticus, we see it described. And he gave the Israelites a way to identify and then to deal with leprosy in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. In Leviticus 13, verse 14, it says this, but when raw flesh appears on him, and he's referring to leprosy, he shall be unclean. Oh, that was a big deal. To be unclean means that you were disqualified from participating in the community life. You were separated, at least from a, from a ceremonial, um, uh, a spiritual way, you're separated from the community of God. And when you're unclean, as you read through the book of Leviticus, it tells us if you're unclean, everything you touch 
becomes unclean. So there was this, this, this separation, God creating this separation between identifying that which is clean and that which is unclean, and that creating and dividing these things, separating these things. So much so, if you continue on to Leviticus, a little bit later on, verses 45 and 46, it says this, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He's to warn everybody around him that he's unclean. That if, if, if you come near me, understand you risk getting what I've got. Verse 46, he shall be unclean all the days he has a sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This poor man has an advanced case. He has probably spent many years alone in his misery. All alone. Isolated from all of those that he loves. Isolated from just life. Turn back to Luke 5. In his isolation, he hears about the great healer, a great healer. And in his desperation, he breaks all the rules. It was against the law for a, for a leper to approach a city. To go near a city, to go near a group of people was against the law. In fact, it was not uncommon for people to throw rocks at lepers to drive them away. They would drive them away because they're so afraid of contracting the disease themselves. In his desperation, he breaks the rules and hoping for a miracle. And, and you can see that he believes that miracles happen because when he comes to Jesus, he says, you can make me clean. That's an expression of faith, right? You can heal me. But what also does he express? Doubt. Doubt at whether or not Jesus is willing to heal him. Not that he can, but whether he's willing to heal him. The language, as you study it, in the different Gospels, one of, the, one of the Gospels, I think it was Mark, the way the language is written, you get the sense that he came asking the question over and over, making the statement over and over again. I know you can heal me if you're willing. If you're willing, I know you can heal me. Over and over, his desperation being expressed in his words. I remember our scene. This is one of the things that kind of struck me is here we are. It's not just Jesus and this man. It's not a two-person conversation. They're surrounded by people. And it occurred to me, what were all the people around Jesus thinking? Imagine it. Thousands of people crowded around. Maybe some wondering, so what's Jesus going to do here? What's he going to do with this guy? Others are, are disgusted by the fact that he's there or, the, or his appearance. 
Others may be angry that he has, he has interrupted their mountaintop experience. Ever had that happen? You know, you have this radical experience with God, and then some leper walks into your life. Don't elbow the person next to you. I, you know, they look upon this man, and, 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 and there's revulsion, there's disgust, there's fear, all of these things in relation to this man. As far as they're concerned, that is the most disgusting thing on earth. And then I can only imagine the gasp of shock with what Jesus does next. Imagine it. Verse 13. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. In Mark's account, Jesus is described as having compassion for this man. When he looked on this man, and looked on his condition. And maybe, maybe his compassion was for the disease. Maybe. But I think even more than that, it was from the, the results of the disease. On how it had left him completely and absolutely broken. Hopeless. Desperately lonely. As he looked down upon this pathetic, rotting, stinking corpse of a man, something inside of him moved. And he did the unthinkable. He reached out and touched him. Think about that. At that time, in that culture, no one would touch that man. In fact... My guess is he had not experienced human touch for years. Imagine that. Imagine not knowing another human's touch for years. And everywhere he goes, he's, he is rejected as defiled, as corrupt, as unclean as disgusting and revolting. Imagine that every single day of your life. And to have this guy reach out and touch you. The leper is a graphic example of how broken a human can become. No lower human in the world probably at that time than this poor leper. Leprosy is a symbol of sin throughout the Bible. It's a picture of sin. And I wish I had several hours to walk you through this. The effects on the human body, the effects on the social interaction, the, the effects on relationship, the effects on every element of life connects directly to the reality, the spiritual realities of sin. 
sin and leprosy, they have the same effects upon us. Sin brings corruption, defilement, and death to everything it touches. Everything it touches. Lepers were the untouchables. Now, each of us, if we take a moment or two, we can think of untouchables. People that we would never reach our hand out and touch. For some reason, whatever it is, we would never do it. To touch a leper was to make yourself unclean. This man, having been separated and isolated from clean people for years, came in desperation, absolute desperation. Probably, and you you get the sense here as you read it, expecting to be rejected. If you are willing, realizing that he may not be willing. He, you know, I, I may be too far. I may be too bad. I may be beyond hope. Instead, Jesus touches him and then heals him. To me, that is so powerful. The order of that account is so important. He touched him and then healed him. Meaning you're not too far gone. You're not, so far, you're not so bad, you're not so disgusting, you're not so revolting that I can't touch you. God the Son, Jesus, wrapped in perfect, clean flesh, reached out and touched one of the lowest humans on earth. How important is that to us? Brothers and sisters, we need to understand something. We are, we're just like that leper. Sin was ravaging our lives. It was corrupting everything around us. It was consuming us in so many different ways bringing isolation and misery and suffering. Sin is a disease. And the problem is, we all have it. Romans 3.23 says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And because we have it, everything we have touched is affected by it, is corrupted by it. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says this, but we are all, all. What do you think that means? We. Could you not write your name? I'll bet you that's not one you write your name over, right? We are all like an unclean thing. We are all like a leper. You ever want to attach that one to your lives? I was a leper. Maybe I am still a leper. Maybe you're still a leper here today. We're going to talk about that later. I'm like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, all again, notice that, all our righteousness are like 
filthy rags. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand something, and boy, we hate to talk about this, don't we? I was lost. I was a leper. And my life, you, it was all over me. You could see my sin all over me. I hid some of it, but it was there. It was out. And everything I touched was affected by it. And God looked down from heaven. And this is remarkable. And God looked down from heaven and, and, and saw us just like Jesus saw that leper. He looked on that leper, and what happened? He had compassion. God looks down from heaven, and he sees us in our wretched, pathetic, stinking, rotting selves and has compassion on us. The Bible says, John 3.16, we all know the verse, God so loved the world that he what? He sent Jesus. Somebody say amen. Thank you. He saved us. He cleansed us. Why? Not because you're so awesome. And it will go to Jesus the way that this man did. He heard about the healer. And he believed. He believed that he could be healed. And he went to him humbly. One of the Gospels says he kneeled before Jesus. Another one says he bowed down with his face to the earth. Humbled himself. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve to be made whole. I understand if you want to reject me, God. But I'd like you to heal me. That's how God wants us to come to him. Believe, humble, and asking. The Bible says if we do that, he is willing. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, notice that's a conditional statement, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much of our unrighteousness? All. 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 Mm. There are two opposing lies that keep people in bondage. Some people are in bondage to sin. And there are two lies that keep them there. Either one of them will keep you in bondage for your life and will keep you like this man, separated, isolated, rotting in your sin. First one is, I am not a sinner. I'm not a leper. I don't need to be healed. This man knew his condition. He knew what he was. The second lie is my sin is so bad that Jesus won't forgive me. Or I have sinned too much, too often. It's another lie. My sin is so bad that Jesus won't touch me and heal me. He won't forgive me. These are both lies. And if you believe either one of those lies, then you have given the keys to your life to the devil. And you're letting him keep you in bondage. There's only one way to fix it, and that's to take the keys away from the devil, away from Satan, by rejecting the lie and accepting and believing the truth. Give the keys to your life to Jesus, who owns your life anyways, 
and he will set you free, right? The Bible tells us that. If he sets you free, you're free indeed. I want you to listen to this verse. We don't usually quote it in this context. I want you to listen to this verse. Come to me. All of you tell me what the next word is. All. Come to me, all. Every one of you come to me. You who, are la who labor and are heavy laden and read these next two words, say it out loud. I will. Come to me all. Everyone come to me and I will. That's a promise, right? Can we accept that as a promise? If I come to him, he will. It says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and, and you will, say that, you will, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is like God calls us. He says, come to me, all of you. This leper was as bad as humanity could get. He was, he was the, the absolute lowest human on earth. And you are not as bad as him. Come to him. Jesus looked on this poor, pathetic leper had compassion and you got to know something jesus loves you exactly as much as he loved that leper and while that leper expected to get rejected what happened jesus reached out and touched him the most powerful expression of love that he could give that man at that moment was to touch him you see that? There, no, he, he absolutely did not expect that. Go to Jesus. Let him heal you. After Jesus heals the leper, he gives him instructions, verses 14 and 15. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded he said he tells the leper don't tell anyone that you're healed at least not yet first go to the priest and make an offering and i and i and then he explains why as a testimony to them that word testimony is the same word that we use for witness go to the priest and tell them Think about that for a second. Leprosy, a couple of realities of leprosy in that time. One, it was believed to be incurable. That if you get leprosy, you're done. You'll be a leper for as long as you live. You're a leper. And you'll be isolated, separated from the community, living off of the scraps that they leave for you. It's also believed to be a judgment from God. That if you, be, if you get leprosy, it's because God hates you. He's judging you because you're such a wicked, horrible human. And so he judges you with it. They believe that only God could heal leprosy. Only God could do it. Try to imagine. Again, put yourself in the story. Jesus heals the leper, Right? And, and, and we don't know exactly how that manifested in him, but 
I believe, I'm going to go ahead and just believe this, that he was whole at that moment. That everything that leprosy had done to his body was erased instantly. That he became, his skin was beautiful and clear and, and if he was missing his fingers and nose and ears, all that was back. And he went to the temple. And he's supposed to bring this offering. And he walks in there and says, hey, 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 I was a leper and now I'm healed. What do you think the priest would do at that moment? Yeah, right. None of them had ever seen a leper healed. There are only a few examples in Scripture, right? Jesus quoted one not too long ago. You remember he, he talked about Naaman the Syrian who was healed of leprosy. But there aren't very many examples, and it's believed at that time that it was incurable. It just didn't happen. And so this guy walks into the temple, and he's, he said, hey, I was healed. And they're saying, well, prove it. Well, there's a way. The Bible tells us. Leviticus 14 tells us there was a process that we go through. At some point, they identified, okay, yeah, you did have it. They, you know, they maybe asked his family or friends or somebody you know, to get evidence that he actually had leprosy. And now he's, 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 they check him out, and he's clear. And I can imagine, again, maybe I'm just weird like this. You know, the priest thinking, okay, so what do we do now? How do we deal with this? You know, Leviticus 14 was probably not the most, most popular class in preschool because nobody gets healed of leprosy, so why learn the ritual to do it, to fix it? Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 32, we're not going to turn there, but I would encourage you, if you have some time, to go back and read it. It is an absolutely glorious chapter as it talks about the reality, what, what they were to do as a result of it. And if you can find a good commentary on it, it is absolutely amazing what was going on there. It describes what happened to each and every one of you when Jesus saved you. It talks about us being healed and cleansed of all of the corruption that our lives were and then has this beautiful picture of a new life dedicated to God. Ugh, radical. I wish I had another hour. We're not in Leviticus, so I'm not going to teach you out of Leviticus. But oh, amazing, amazing stuff. Points ultimately to Jesus' work on the cross for us. Matter of fact, the whole, Levit whole book of Leviticus does that. It talks about who we are and talks about what Jesus did for us. It's a hard book to read sometimes. I get that. But there's some amazing, powerful stuff in there. Even though Jesus told this man not to tell anyone, scriptures tell us that he did. And great multitudes came, both to hear him and to be healed by him. One of the things we don't understand, because we sometimes struggle with that, why did Jesus tell him not to tell anyone? Because Jesus didn't come to do a healing ministry. It's not why he came. He healed, and he healed because the Bible said he would. The Old Testament said he was going to heal. The Messiah would heal people, and he did. Jesus healed every person that came to him. But that's not why he came. You know, every single person that Jesus healed died. Did you know that? Every one of them. He healed thousands of people, but every last one of them eventually got sick and died. Every healing was temporary. 
Jesus was more concerned with the eternal. He was more concerned with their soul. He wanted to teach people about the kingdom of God, that they might have deliverance and freedom from not just the temporary pain of, of sickness and disease and brokenness, but from the brokenness and the disease of sin. It's not that he didn't care for people. God, he, Jesus cared. He had compassion. Compassion that I wish I had. Or maybe I don't wish I had. I don't know. He was here on a mission. And, and there's a, is this text, this section, ends with a, with a fascinating thing that takes place. And, and reveals something to us about Jesus that I think is absolutely so critical for us. And it's in verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. It can be said that Jesus was unlike any human who has ever lived. It can also be said that Jesus was like every human who has ever lived. He's both unlike and like. That's so important for us to understand. Once people started to figure out who Jesus was, you know, primarily as a prophet, as a teacher, and I think miracle worker was probably really high up on their list. They just, started, they just started coming and coming and coming and coming. Literally, endlessly, they were coming. Mark 6, 31 says this, And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going that did not even have time to eat. Hurting, broken, hungry people came endlessly. Endlessly. It's no different today. The needs of people will always be greater than the resources of the ministers. Always. No matter how many ministers we have raised up, the needs will always be greater than that. We don't have to look very, we don't have to look outside of this church to see great, deep needs that people have that most of us as ministers are incapable of meeting. And in some respects, I'm thankful that I can't feel what they're feeling. I don't think I could bear it. I, I don't go a single day without being touched by some deep hurt that comes from someone else around me, from someone in this church. I'm thankful. I, I, I'll tell you right now, I'm thankful that you don't know all of the hurts that there are in this church, all of the brokenness, all of the hard things that are happening to other people in and around this church. I'm, I am thankful that you don't feel it, that you don't know it. I'm thankful that God has given us the strength and the ability to bear it those needs will never end. I've been in ministry going on 20 years now. They are no less today than they were 20 years ago. And I don't believe they'll ever be less. The needs of people will always be greater than the ministers. That's why we're always looking to raise up more ministers. Each of the Gospels describes a time 
when Jesus separated himself from the ministry to be alone. To be alone with the Father. And it says here that he went into the wilderness to pray. Why? Why did Jesus need to separate himself to pray? Now, I believe, you know, and if, if you've been around, you know that you can pray anytime, right? You can pray. You know, I, I regularly, I'm praying when I'm talking to people because they're asking me for things. I have no way of answering for them. They're saying things to me, and I'm praying, God, you need to give me an answer right now because I got nothing for them. But he would separate himself from them. And as I thought about that, you know, our typical response is, well, he needed to do that. I'm not convinced that that's true. I think it was a desire, not a need. And John 10.30 describes, says something about Jesus that I think helps us to understand this. It says, he says, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. There's a, there's a reality to that that is, it is beyond human understanding. That from eternity past, Jesus has been one with the Father in a divine intimacy that there is no actual human description of. But there is something, a relationship that God has given us that is a reflection or a shadow of that. Callie and I have been married since 1981. I know for some of you that's ancient history. And I'm going to tell you, I love her more than any other human on earth. And not, there is not a close second. I also love my family. I love my mom. Hi, mom. Love you. I love my kids. I love my kids' spouses. I love my grandbabies a lot. <laughs> I, I, love, I love this church. And, and when I say that, I, I don't mean the church. I mean the people. I love hanging out with the people. I was at the man queue on Friday. I just, that was fun, just being around the men of the church. I love when God uses me to minister to people. And I love it when he turns around and uses you to minister to me, which happens on a regular basis. I love all that. But you know what? My family calls, I'll go. If the church calls, I go. Without hesitation, I'll go. But anytime, anytime I am separated from Kelly, my desire is to be with her. That's my desire. The Bible teaches that when God put Kelly and I together in marriage, he made us one flesh. He made us one. And in some mysterious manner that is similar to the relationship to God the Father and Jesus. Not the same. It's not the same. But it's, it's a picture of that. And when I'm separated from her, my desire is to be 
with her. To withdraw from the everyday demands of life and ministry to be separated with her alone. I, I desire that. When Jesus withdrew, the text says he prayed. He talked to God. Now, this may come as a shock to some of you, but he did not pray in King James English. There was not a single thee or thou in any, any prayers that Jesus prayed. And I also don't believe that he prayed, you know, these big, you know, doctrinal theological terms and things. He just talked to his father. Prayer is just talking to God. I, I would love, I would love to have a transcript of one of those conversations. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to have a transcript? Now we've got, the Bible does give us some, some prayers that he's, that, you know, public prayers. I want to hear one of those private ones. Especially when he's praying for me. I'd love to hear that. When Kelly and I withdraw and we talk, it is very personal it is very intimate. Our conversations reflect our relationship. The way that we talk is a direct reflection of our relationship. And I can imagine that's exactly what Jesus' conversations were. When he withdrew into the wilderness, it was to spend time to be one again in that very private way with the Father so that he could interact with him without the distraction of life and ministry. The Bible teaches us that Jesus prays for us. Matter of fact, he's always prayed for us. He's been, he prays, he's prayed for uh, you know, people. I mean, there's an example in Luke, Luke 22, 31. It says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed, past tense, for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When, when Jesus was alone with God, I believe that he was you know, he's praying for people. You know, praying for circumstances, praying for his ministry, praying for what it was that God had, had given him to do. And, and, and just as my desire to be with Kelly is a reflection of the relationship I have with her, my desire to be alone with God is a reflection of my relationship with him. That makes sense, right? If I believe that I am one with God, which the Bible tells me I'm to be one with Him, then I should desire to be alone with Him. And my desire to be alone with Him is a reflection of my affection for Him. Now, if that landed on you the way it landed on me, that's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> Uh-oh. I feel a little conviction over that. Am I expressing my affection for you the way I should? Do I actually desire to be alone with you in that way? To talk with you in that, in that, that one relationship of intimacy? Probably not the way that I should. I can imagine Jesus going, 
Somebody fix that clock. Darn it. Imagine Jesus going and talking to his father about the leper. You know, he, he heals the leper and then has this conversation. I, I can imagine this conversation. God, would you, would you pour out your grace upon this man and reunite him with his family, who he's been maybe distanced from for years? God, would you, would you give him a job? Help him to find a job. Give him favor with an employer so they can provide for his family. Lord, would you, would you help, him, help him to walk in accordance with your will now that he's more free to do that? Lord, would you, Father, would you, would you help him to be thankful for the miraculous gift that you've given him? Now, if you didn't notice, every one of those prayers you could pray for someone in your life. Every last one of them. I think we should be. The encounter of the leper was a, is a touching story. Especially when we acknowledge it. Spiritually speaking, we are the leper in that story. We are the one that were healed. Jesus took us full of leprosy and cleansed us with his blood. Jesus reached down from heaven, from the shadow of the cross, to touch us in our uncleanness. And his blood has made us clean. Jesus told the leper to go. Go to the priest and tell my story. Go tell him the story. And Jesus has touched your life too. He's healed you of something. First, the, you know, the disease of sin. He's healed you of that, at least the consequences of it. You're free now not to sin if you don't want to. Some of you still want to. We'll work on that later. But you've been healed. And he wants you to tell the story of when and how it happened. As a testimony of his greatness, his goodness, his love, his power. Go tell your story.